want to welcome everybody back to Mavericks and Misfits. Thanks for tuning in again. Hopefully, hopefully you guys um, are subscribing to the podcast wherever you listen to your other podcasts. You can subscribe to Mavericks and Misfits. Some of you are those that watch online at maverickmisfit.com. Uh, either way, I'm just glad that you've tuned in. Grateful to be able to bring you um, just another set of thoughts today. I've got a topic I want to deal with before I do. Many of you don't know this. Um, you're listening to this whenever you're listening to it, but it's always recorded about a month <laughs> before you actually listen to it. I have to stay ahead of the curve. And so one of the drawbacks of that is it's, I don't stay current, um, like with a podcast on what's happening that week. It's almost always a little bit behind. And, um, I know that just clearly a few weeks ago, the uh, Supreme Court of the United States overturned Roe versus Wade. And I want to just take a moment and say that for me personally, that's an answer to um, almost 30 years of prayer. I haven't been a Christian for 30 years, so around 28 years of praying. Um, when I was saved and began to study the scriptures, I instantly understood uh, the, the patent the demonic sinfulness of the abortion industry and um, really saw clearly that every, every nation in the Bible that practiced infanticide, and there were many, including ancient Israel, um, not a single one of them got a free pass from God. Uh, matter of fact, all of them were either completely destroyed or um, severely judged by God um, in their generations. And so uh, I felt like the overturning of Roe v. Wade by the Supreme Court uh, was an extension of mercy from heaven to the United States. Um, I feel like the church must step up at this time, and we must represent Jesus fully. Um, I was I was kind of displeased because I saw a lot of Christians who are pro-life Christians, like almost scolding people for celebrating this victory, and uh, it's that it's that ridiculous quagmire of political correctness to where, you know, while you know, the opposite side of the aisle is highly aggressive in their agenda and highly vocal in their protest. And yet Christians, the ones who of all people should represent God's heart when it comes to the life of the not yet born. Um, we were, we were scolded by some in our own ranks of saying, well, let's don't celebrate. That's let's, let's don't rub their face in it. Well, of course you don't want to rub somebody's face in it, but, um, at the same time, my goodness, you know, we just saw a reversal of a decree that led to multiple tens of millions of babies being legally exterminated in the womb. And, you know, some of us have been praying for, you know, decades on this thing. And the the response to some who are pro-life, of course, you know, people that aren't pro-life, they're not going to want us to say a word. But I don't know about people that are actually pro-life. They're like, yeah, we, we shouldn't celebrate this. I'm thinking, you, you go ahead and operate under the fear of man, I'm going to go ahead and give God the glory. I'm going to go ahead and say, hallelujah, praise God. It's harder to kill babies in America. And if you can't celebrate that, um, I'm asking you to, to do a heart check. Be wise how you celebrate it. But my goodness, why did we pray for it for decades? Why did we want to, I'm talking to pro-life people. Why did we want to see it overturned? When God gives the greatest breakthrough, Christians are wanting to, you know, just kind of hide in a hole on it. And I disagree with that kind of premise. I don't want to be obnoxious about it, but I want to give God the glory that this is a great mercy being shown to the United States of America. And I thank the Lord for this amazing legislation 
being uh, this process being leading to the overturning of the Roe v. Wade uh, legislation. And um, yeah, I, w- I want to see abortion outlawed in the United States of America, and I make no apologies for that. Babies should live. Uh, they cannot defend themselves. They cannot speak for themselves. They cannot get away from a womb that becomes a prison where an executioner walks in and, and does barbaric things to them. And if we we haven't made up our minds on whether or not that is right or wrong, um, I'm you know I've got great cause for concern. I really didn't mean to go off on that tangent, but that was my long-winded way of doing two things: one, saying I praise God for the overturning of Roe v. Wade, and number two. Um, Christians, we need to quit being intimidated by a culture that, you know, literally wants to muzzle and silence us. And if we're not handling uh, what it means to represent the heart and the word of God in a day where it is relatively easy, the day you're living in now, then there's no way we're going to endure until the end. Like, I want you to hear me on this. I've been doing end time series for a long time. It feels like all summer um, at the church at Winder on Wednesday nights. And one of the main emphasis is most people think they're going to skate on into heaven because they prayed a prayer at an altar one day. And, um, you know, they asked Jesus to come into their heart and they're, they're fully assuming that that's their ticket to heaven. And meanwhile, they don't know anything about the Lordship of Jesus Christ. They, they don't obey him. They don't follow him. They don't love him. They don't adhere to his word. They don't honor him. They don't serve him. They don't give into the kingdom. They're literally just citizens of planet earth and indoctrinated with the culture. That's their actual internal atmosphere. And, but they call themselves a Christian and they think that, you know, when the end of the age comes, they're going to heaven. And it's going to be shocking. It's going to be the Matthew seven reality where Jesus says there will be many, 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 many in that day who say to me, he's talking about the day of judgment, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not do many wonderful works? Did we not cast out demons? Didn't we do a bunch of religious stuff in your name? And Jesus is literally going to look at the many, the many, the many. He said that, not me. I'm not making this up. Matthew seven. He said, he's going to say to them, I never knew who you were. Depart from me. So it's the final rejection of those who were caught up in religious nomenclature, religious activities, Christianized things who were never born again. And so, uh, you know, I just, I'm just preparing for the end of the age. I might, I might not be the most cuddly guy in the world. I don't care. I'm just at a place now where I'm like, man, I want to make sure that I am walking out what I believe and I am. I'm I'm just going to vent here for a second. I am disgusted and sick and tired of Christians engaging in the culture in ways that it is now infecting the church. Cancel culture. Uh, My feelings, my truth, my rights, uh, the me generation that we're all living in that literally has forgotten that the requirement for being a Christian is to pick up a cross, your cross, daily and deny yourself and follow Jesus. And Jesus said, if you don't do that, you can't be my disciple. Now line that up with the mindset of today's American church that is pre-offended, snowflake melty, bruised, me-centered, 
crying all the time and whining and still think that when the Antichrist and all of hell breaks loose on earth, they think they're ready. And I'm like, man, you're not even handling level one basic challenges and you're falling apart and you're caving into the culture and you want to be liked and loved by those that don't even know Jesus and you're hoping everybody will just understand you and embrace you and love you and affirm you. I'm thinking, don't you know that all of hell is coming against the church and we are called to persevere, to suffer long, to advance the gospel, to remain loyal, to deny ourselves? We are to mortify the deeds of the flesh, crucify the flesh. Like we, we're not only not on the cross, we're not even close to the cross. We're not crucifying ourselves daily because we're, we're avoiding the whole crucif cruciform aspects of the Christian faith. It is not praying. I mean, I don't even know if I'm going to get to my podcast today. I'm just feeling this. It's not about you praying a prayer and going to church. That's not the Christian foundation. The Christian foundation is that you repent of your sin. You call upon the name of the Lord, Lordship. He is Lord of all. And as you follow him, as you walk in the spirit, as you obey his written revelation, as you love him with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength, as you deny yourself, as you love your neighbor as yourself, the whole of the Christian life is connected to self-denial. And the whole of the American culture is to self-worship. And some people who call themselves Christians can't differentiate between the two. And this concern about what are people going to say about me? Who's going to love me most? Who's going to affirm me? Who's going to make me feel awesome about me? Guys, do you not realize that is the road to damnation? Because it is not denying self, it is preserving and exalting self, and it is antichrist in its nature. So, welcome to today's podcast. None of that was planned, but I just feel the Lord on it. Some of y'all just need to hear it. Like There needs to be a baptism of sobriety to hit the church. I'm not talking about alcohol, I'm talking about spiritual sobriety where we open our eyes and we look around and we realize that the massive tidal wave of spiritual infection is crashing upon the shores of the church, flooding the professing church, drowning people. And everybody, instead of realizing they're drowning, thinks, thinks they're on a lazy river, you know, with a pina colada in their hand, you know, just kind of going down the stream and ain't God good. And, um, man, I just, where are the prophets? Some of you are, are prophetic people. And I just want to charge you right now. I already know I'm not even going to get to my podcast topic. I was going to, I'll do it next time. I was going to talk to you today about the fear of man. Um, but I just feel the Lord moving in a different direction. Some of you that are listening, listen to me. Listen, I want to affirm what God called you to be. God called you to be a voice crying in the wilderness. He called you to be a courageous, brave bold, and because of that, you will be misunderstood, you will be misrepresented, you may be mistreated at some point, but you are called to be a counterculture voice of distinction in a lukewarm age where the church is under anesthesia and going into a deeper and deeper state of drowsiness. 
And the Lord is raising up men and women to sound the alarm, to shake the church awake, to call us to get back to being people who are unapologetically aligned with the revelation of Scripture and unapologetically in allegiance to the author of Scripture who is God himself. And we have to take off the soiled garments of the culture that they keep trying to wrap around us. Some of you are, are literally, you're in a season where you've got to make up your mind, who will I be moving forward? And if you are not making up your mind about that, let me give you a promise. Somebody or some force is making it up for you. If you are not proactively deciding who you are daily, and literally living that out with an unapologetic, it doesn't have to be obnoxious. It doesn't have to be defiant. You don't have to, you know, I don't, I don't, I'm not an advocate of obnoxious Christianity, but we're so far away from that. There's a handful of people and those yahoos give, give a black eye to the church, but I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about these, these foolish people that protest, um, you know, the, they were, it's not so much anymore, but protest the, the funerals of soldiers and say that, you know, these soldiers are killed because of America's uh, lack of morality. And they, they claim to represent God and they say stuff like, and pardon me, but this is what they say. God hates fags. And people say that stuff and they protest these, these, um, these funerals of soldiers. And I mean, just, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about you getting and staying in the secret place until you're convinced of the identity and the assignment that God has given you. And then you live it out trusting that whatever is required to fulfill that assignment, he has promised to give you. You will be resourced. You will grow in maturity. Your spine and your spiritual muscles will grow to bear up under whatever weight comes with your assignment. But the last thing that needs to happen as we approach the end of the age is for Christians to become so ambiguous, so vague, so yay, nay, so, so non-clear, <laughs> so patently wishy-washy that we presume we represent Jesus and Jesus looks from heaven and says, whatever that is, it's not me. That's not how I want you to live. When I think back in the history of the church and I think about a people, you know, just especially going back to the days of the Reformation and prior, like people dying, gruesome, horrible deaths in order that they might stand against the machine of culture and religion and say, I will not bow before any other than Jesus Christ, the Lord, the Son of God. I will not dilute my faith with man's religion. I will not bow to the pressures and the expectations of politics, culture, and religion. I am one with Jesus Christ. I cannot morph. I cannot tweak. I cannot dial down what he says. I will stand before him at the end of the age. I will give an account for all that he said to me, all that he invited me into, all that I stewarded and how I stewarded it. And friends, if you get a hold of that, it will dominate your life to the point where you were joyfully, zealously, eagerly, happily, 
powerfully. You will live your life unapologetically for Jesus. You will be empowered by God the Spirit not to care what people think or say about you. Like we have a level of defiance against God and his word that God has actually said, I want you to keep that defiance in you, but I want you to defy the world system. I want you to defy the spirit of Jezebel. I want you to defy the spirit of Antichrist. I want you to defy the compromise in the church. I want you to defy the um, imposed moral standards of a fallen culture that the church is now seeking to accommodate. Where are the reformers? Where are the prophets? Where are those that will stop being passively naive and believing that if we're just nice enough, everybody's going to come to Jesus? Look at the prophets in the word of God. Most of them would not have won nice person of the year. Most of them were bold and many of them were abrasive. I mean, the things they did, the things they said today that'll get you canceled if you remotely approach that level, they did it under the anointing of God. And I think somehow we have, we have added a fruit to the fruit of the Spirit. We have said, oh, the fruit of the Spirit is being nice. While I do see gentleness, while I do see kindness, but this niceness is a superficial passive desire to be accepted and have everybody happy. And that's not a fruit of the spirit. That's actually an agency of compromise and corrosion in the church. And we've got a lot of Christians that are so addicted to ease and calm and artificial harmony and superficial peace that they are violating and abdicating their God-given assignment and they're putting it under the banner of some presumed political or ecclesiastical correctness where the highest virtue is don't make any waves. And I'm here, I'm just, I'm just one voice, but I'm feeling it today. Listen, I promise you, I didn't have any of this. I'm not reading from notes. I didn't have any of this planned. I just, I prayed, I got on the mic. I thought I was going to talk about the fear of man. And what I'm talking about now is just like, where are the prophets? Where are the reformers? Where are the people? Like at, at this level one, it doesn't cost us much at all right now to stand boldly for Jesus and oppose everything that undermines the glory of his name. It doesn't cost us much in America to do that right now. It will. It'll absolutely cost us everything at some point, and that's predicted globally at the end of the age. And the very clear teaching of Scripture is that many will abandon the presumed allegiance to Jesus, the, the superficial Christianity, the hollowed-out church, the Sunday attendee, the person that is a nominal, that means a name only, a name only Christian, a person that believes in Christianized virtues and values but has never been reborn. Like those people that go to church, as soon as it starts costing them something, they will abandon. These are the same people that will line up at the end of the age and take the mark of the beast because they want to eat food and be able to have a job more than they want to die in faithfulness to Jesus Christ. I'm praying some of you that are in your 20s and 30s will catch a hold of this and you'll hear me today. Like if you're not making up your mind right now, like in this season where it's easy it's easy. If you are crumbling because of 
presumed heat and not feeling affirmed and nobody will give me a platform and how come nobody's opening doors for me and I need this and I need that. I, I just say to you, listen to me, that, that may not be you, but beware that it can get in you from the people around you, from the spirit of this age. Like, is God not able to bring you fully into what he has assigned for your life? Do you, are you looking to human beings? Are you looking to man to help you? And to, you're assuming you've got to have nine people on your side. You've got to be connected to a big name. You've got to have somebody open doors. Or maybe you just believe what Jesus said in the book of Revelation when he said, I'm the one who opens a door that nobody can shut. And I'll shut a door. And when I do, nobody will open it. Like he's the God of the open and the shut door. I love that verse, man. Forgive me. I can't remember. I know it's uh, in Revelation 2. Um where he says, I, I open a door and no man shuts. Where is that? Um, he's speaking to the churches. I think it's Revelation 3. What church is that? All right, forgive me. I'm processing out loud here. But um, it's, I think it's the angel of Philadelphia, the, the, the messenger to Philadelphia, the church of Philadelphia. And Jesus says, I've got the key of David. I open a door. No man shuts it. That's, that's Jesus giving a kingdom principle. When I, Jesus Christ, open a door, nobody can shut it. And then he said, it is, it's the church at Philadelphia. It's Revelation 3. He says, when I shut a door, ain't nobody going to open it. So what does that tell you? That you don't need 50 people. You don't need a rah-rah corner. You don't need like the big name prophet, preacher, evangelist, mentor, podcaster, preacher, whatever. You don't need that person. You need the Holy Ghost and a, an internal unwavering commitment that you will be the man or the woman that God has called you to be. And then you get to come into the throne room every day and say, Lord, this is what you're saying to me. If you want me to share it, open a door that no man can shut. Like I reverently put it back on God. I've done this since I got saved. I, God called me to preach on December 14th, 1994, four months after I was saved. I didn't know anything about preaching. I didn't know anything about church. I didn't know anything about ministry. I'd only been sober for four months, but I knew God had called me to preach. Guess what I did? Within two weeks, I started preaching. I didn't ask permission. I just, I said, mm, I need somewhere to preach. I, you know, people, Jesus talks about blessing people in prison and, and, you know, taking care of the poor and the, the homeless and the naked and the, the hungry. So I just started preaching in homeless shelters and jails. That doesn't make me a superhero. It just made me a, a, a person who was dumb enough to believe that when Jesus says he'll open a door for me to do what he's called me to do, that he would do it. And I say that tongue in cheek. I was just simple enough. Maybe that's a better, I just like, oh, Jesus said he'd open a door. I'm going to pray and I want to go preach in the jails. <laughs> and, that, and listen, I had a record, you know, it was Mr. Meter stuff, but I had a record and there's no way I should have gotten in a jail. But when Jesus opens the door, nobody can shut it. So I spent three years preaching in the prisons. I literally learned how to preach in the prisons. Poor guys. They couldn't go anywhere. They were happy to get out of their cell for a couple of hours, but that's where I learned to preach. And then I preached in homeless shelters. Why? Because there weren't any platforms or pulpits that anybody was going to put me in because I did not know what I was doing. But I learned. Now, that's just my story. Here, here's what I'm saying to you. What has he called you to do? Has he called you to be a missionary? Well, stop begging and start praying and go. 
Like if, if, if you're years into this thing and you still haven't hit the field, but you're, you're, you're still assuming you have a call, there's one of two things. Either he did not call you, but maybe he did. Maybe he actually called you, but you're waiting on humans to provide for you what God says he'll provide for you. And maybe God's just saying, I don't want you to trust in people. I want you to trust in me. I don't want you to trust in marketing letters. I get letters all the time from missionaries that never say hey to me any, any other time. But they write me letters saying, hey, can you send support? It's like, oh, I hadn't heard from you in three years, but you want money. I'm thinking to myself, that's not relationship. That's not the Lord. Now, that's fine. If they want to do that, that's fine. But I'm thinking to myself, get in the secret place and pray. Ask God to do it for you. Quit assuming that your pastors or your prophets or your mentors or your favorite people in ministry are supposed to elevate you. You have a calling. You have an assignment. If you don't know what it is, that's where you start. God, who am I and why am I here? Go with those two questions until you get them both answered. Who am I and why am I here? And when you find that out, that's life. Like too many Christians are living with an assigned identity that didn't come from God. The world says you're this. The culture says you're this. You have this much money, so you're this. You're this color or this race, so you're this. You have this temperament, so you're this. You're this old, so you have this. You're this young, so you're this. And they're allowing what describes you to define you. You need to hear that. What describes you is not what is to define you. God is to define you. I can be described as a middle-aged, short, white man. I can be described as a type A personality. I can be described as a pastor or a preacher or a prophet or a teacher or apostolic leader. I can be described as all of those things, but that's not what I wake up thinking. I'm, I don't even wake up thinking my primary identity is a husband or a dad or a Christian brother. I wake up every day and I remind myself I'm a son. I am am a son of God through Jesus Christ. I am complete in Jesus Christ. I am beloved in Jesus Christ. I am accepted in Jesus Christ. There is now therefore no condemnation on me. So I have good standing with God through Jesus Christ. I'm a son. I'm welcome into Abba's house. I'm welcome at his table. I'm welcome into his throne room. My Abba is a king, the king over every king. That's my identity. My identity is who I am in Christ. And if you don't get a hold of that, you're going to find lesser loyalties identifying you. And then what am I to do? Well, identity produces activity. Your activity flows from your identity. Your assignment flows from who God says you are. But guys, I didn't learn that stuff overnight. I mean, I, I, sir, I, I was a servant in identity for decades, like probably for 15 of the 28 years I was saved, my primary identity was servant. I got a lot done, but I didn't know who I was. And then God broke me and God put me through difficult days, like nonstop for years until I realized these other things that I am being are subpar. I need to be the son that God says that I am. And man, when I started just living in sonship instead of primarily servanthood, doesn't mean I don't serve. I still do. I'm a son who serves, not a servant who's striving to be a son. And if you can come to that place, daughters and sons, where you just say, oh, it ain't about how my mama treated me. It ain't about how my daddy treated me. It ain't about how my pastors treated me. It's not about what the world says I am because I'm this race or I'm this age or I'm a man or I'm a woman or I'm this or that. 
Oh my goodness. Come out from under that smothering tarp of misidentification and just rest in your daughterhood or your sonship. You, you have permission to do that. I would strengthen it. You have an expectation from heaven to rest in that. And then, of course, activity comes. And some of you that are listening already know both. You know who you are and you know why you're here. And here's my question. Are you doing it? Are you being that man or that woman? And are you doing what you're called to do? It doesn't matter if it doesn't make Instagram. It doesn't matter if TikTok doesn't care. It doesn't matter if nobody notices. I'm asking you, how do you stand before an audience of one in your identity and your activity? Or are you, are you waiting for a cultural affirmation to tell you you're okay? to tell you you're good, to tell you you have value. And if that's what you're doing, it is highly likely that somewhere along the line you're actually compromising who you are and you're misstepping on what you're to do. Because once you start looking for affirmation and validation from any other source but God, you will misstep because you will inevitably misstep and say, I, I, I need something from somebody to make me feel good about who I am and what I'm doing. Like I'm just, I'm feeling the intensity of this today. I, I want to say to some of you, you have God given permission to be the man and woman you are to be, be wise, how you steward it. This is not some flippant, you do you kind of mantra. What I'm saying is you get to be who God says you are. You need to lay that down for the glory of Jesus Christ every single day. It is not primarily about you, but you have to be you so that it can be about him. If you're not you, if you're not being you, there ain't going to be a you. Why would you want to be somebody else? God made them to be them. He made you to be you. You got to figure out who you are and then you got to be that person and stop apologizing and stop waiting for permission. If you're an introvert, quit trying to figure out how to be an extrovert. If you're an intellectual, quit trying to figure out how to become more emotional. If you're emotional in the name of Jesus, you don't have to become a bookworm in order to be validated. Like, good night alive. Let's honor the creativity of the creator. Like, he makes people different. Stop looking at the people around you and saying they need to be more like me. No, they need to be who God made them to be. When it comes to leadership and ministry, not everybody's going to be pastoral. Every, you know, I, I carry the title of pastor. I've never been a pastor as far as my God-given identity and my fivefold gifting. I've never been a pastor. I know how to pastor, but I've never been one. That's not who I am. Um, and some of you that are pastors are wondering why, you know, I, you feel the pressure. I got to be an apostolic leader. I got to do this. I got to do this. No, God actually wants you to care for and provide security, comfort, and safety and guidance to people. That's what a pastor does. Prophets, you're probably, most of you that are prophetic aren't going to be parsing the, the Greek and the Hebrew and giving deep word studies and preaching expositionally. And there's a pressure on you to conform and all that. Why don't you give us the rhema? Just study your Bible. Eat the word. In the name of Jesus, you'll have more to say from God if you will study your Bible. But in the meantime, when you get up and speak, you're probably not supposed to do a homiletical masterpiece. You're supposed to roar. That's what prophets do. <laughs> And teachers, please give us the verse by verse, line upon line, precept upon precept, and do it with an anointing. Like we need the word. 
Where are the teachers? Teachers are trying to be pastors and evangelists are trying to be prophets and prophets are trying to be, you know, whatever. And, and I'm thinking to myself, how about you figure out what God has called you to be and you be that person with all your heart and let others do the same. So as I wind up today, I'm, I'm just, this is like, I know I sound like really intense. People always, you know, well, not always, but from time to time people say, are you mad? I'm like, I think I am, but I think I'm mad at the right things. I know I'm mad at the devil. I'm sick of seeing him shred people. I'm a little bit mad at the, the spirit of the age that is infecting the church and church leaders are just letting it happen. And I'm probably mad at the misrepresentation. I'm jealous for the glory of God. Like the zeal of the Lord of hosts in his house is eating me up. Like I am, I, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and confess it. I'm angry at the low representation of the son of God in our generation. Like, look at what we have represented him as. He's the king of glory. He's returning in fire and thunder. He's going to establish his throne on planet Earth, and he's going to put down every single thing that defies his glory. He is preeminent. He is glorious. He is almighty. He is sovereign. He is the whole reason that we're here. And we've got to quit being people that are about the earth and about self. Let's pick up our cross. Let's deny ourselves as our, our, our king commanded us. And let's follow him every single day. And you get to be who he's called you to be. And you should do it with joy. And you should do it with zeal. And you should do it with a full awareness that some people will never support you. Get over it. There's just some people that are never going to be happy about you being the person that God has called you to be and doing the assignment that God has called you to do. Get over it. Let the problem be theirs. No longer let it be yours. I don't know what I'm doing next time on Mavericks and Misfits, but maybe I'll talk about the fear of man or maybe I'll pick right back up where I'm leaving off today. But I hope your challenge provoke and I hope for some of you, you just got the permission you've been asking for. You just needed a human voice to tell you what you already knew was true in your heart. Time is short. Go after it. Live for the glory of Jesus and never look back. We'll talk to you next time. Thank you for listening to today's Mavericks and Misfits podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe, rate, and review Mavericks and Misfits with Jeff Lyle on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Your review helps us reach more people and spread the unfiltered message of Jesus. And don't forget you can connect with Jeff's social media links at maverickmisfit.com. We look forward to reconnecting with you on our next episode.